0: To move in uh, the to sermon today, some of you were here last week, some of you weren't. But we started a new series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And this sermon is really a ser- uh, this series is really built around one question. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? What are you after in life? What is, what is life really all about for you? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What are you doing here on, on planet Earth? What is the reason for your existence? Ecclesiastes is a book about big questions. It's a book about the things we chase in life. And the surprising thing is, is that the thing that Solomon writes in that 3,000 years ago, he was chasing after and people then were chasing after are basically the same things that now, today, you and I still chase after. And we saw last week in chapter one, uh, he kind of said, you know, what can I build my life on? What can I make my life about Chapter 1, intellectual answers. I, I can go after, I can find the answers. I can have wisdom and knowledge. I can search it out. I can be the smartest. He was a very wise man, but he said in the end, didn't really, didn't really matter. didn't really get all the answers. It was all, what did he say, vanity, vapor, mist. Remember last week I sprayed the spray bottle and the mist fell down. It, it was there for a moment, but then gone. He said it's like chasing the wind. Then he said, came to chapter 2, which is what we talked about last week. can't build your life on just intellectual answers. How about... Turn your life to pleasure, to ecstasy, do everything under the sun, carpe diem, grab life by the horns, right? And he said, he tried it and he did everything imaginable. In the end, he said, it was like a mist, like a vapor. It was like chasing the wind. Can you, can you think of anything more futile? Even, even, uh, even the kids in our service can understand that analogy that life built on any, uh, chasing anything else without reference to God is like chasing wind. You ever caught wind before? You chase it, but you can never capture it. I mean, it's the, I don't know anybody that's ever tried it because you automatically know that it's something silly to do. So this week he tried the intellectual question. He tried pleasure. This week he's going to, what else is left? See, after he tried those things, he came to chapter 2, verse 17. He said this, So I hated my life. So I hated my life. Because it was all vanity. It was all mist. But he hadn't tried one other thing. There was another thing he hadn't tried yet. Accomplishment. Achievement. Success. Work. He had tried the intellectually based life, the pleasure based life. He had not tried the work based life, the success based life. Let's hear what he says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 18 and following. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or be a fool. And yet, he will be the master of everything for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And so I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, he must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone else who didn't toil for it at all. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil and his work. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? To the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, He has given business, the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray as we enter this moment... Lord, that it would be a holy moment. It would be a sacred moment. We would be able to think about what is it I'm building my life on? What am I chasing? Father, may we not build our life on the sand. May we not get to the middle of our lives or the end of our lives and say, it was all vapor. It was all missed. It was all a chasing after wind. It was all useless. Instead, Lord, would you show us the truth? Would you give us the joy and the fulfillment and satisfaction chasing what really matters? Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you could think for just a moment in your head. And define success? What is success? What does it mean to succeed? I would guess many of you have different answers to that question. Some of you are saying, I am successful if I get the kids in bed by 8 and they don't get up again. Some of you are saying, I would simply be successful if I could just find a job. Fifteen to 20,000 people every day in our country losing their jobs right now. Some of you say, it's the promotion, it's the accolades, it's the paycheck. It's the recognition. How would you define success? What does success look like in your life? Maybe it's on the sports field. Maybe it's in the classroom. What is success really? And why would you want to chase it? Well, Ecclesiastes actually is going to say that there's two very good reasons that you would chase success. There's two really good reasons that you would build your whole life all the way around success. What are they? Well, he's going to show us, one, the, the promises that success makes us, and two, the frustration that success brings us—the promise it makes, the frustration it brings. Why? Why would we chase success? Why would we build our lives on it? Why would we make the meaning of our lives success? Well, one thing—that's what it promises. That's what success promises. Success promises to give meaning to your life. It promises to provide meaning. To your life, and it promises to offer recognition for your life. So there's really some good reasons to pursue it if you believe the promises it makes. Look at, look at chapter 2, verse 22. What does he say? He said, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart? You hear what he's asking? What do you have from it? What do you get from all the toil? What do you get from all the work? What do you get from all the striving? What do you get from the accomplishment, the achievement, the success? He's talking about meaning. He's talking about what we build our lives around. If you read any book on success, read any book on work, what will it tell you? It will say, you know that you are successful when you look inside and you feel fulfilled, when you feel satisfied. That's what success is. Not necessarily, though, what he sees when he looks inside. See, what success is saying, it's looking at us and it's telling us every day, if you get it right today, if you prove yourself today, then you're going to be somebody. Plant yourself right here. Build yourself around me and I will give you meaning. I will give you significance. I will make your life matter for something. I will be your identity. It is safe to build your identity around me. That's what success is saying. That's what work is saying. That's what achievement is saying. Not just, it's not, I'm not just here to earn a living. I'm here for a life. Not just for a living. Here for a life. But it promises something else. It promises... It offers really recognition for our life, doesn't it? Isn't that what really success is? I mean, look at chapter, this is a little later in Ecclesiastes, but chapter 4, verse 4. He says, I saw all that toil, that's work, all the work and all the skill from work come from what? A man's envy of his neighbor, he says. A man's envy of his neighbor. What does a man's envy of his neighbor have to do with success in any way? What does a man's envy of his neighbor have to do with success? I think this is probably where a lot of you are going to be brought into the conversation who thought success, achievement, it's really not, that's really not about me. It really doesn't have anything to do with me. Think about how you define success before. See, a lot of people think, oh, you—you you know, you run right to the money, right to the paycheck. That's really what success is. But I think success is actually, and I think we probably all know this, it's actually much deeper than that. It's actually much more than that for most of us, much more than kind of the paycheck we get. What is success? Success is really recognition. Because many of you are saying, you know what? I'm a teacher. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a a pastor. Uh, Pastors are the worst at this, by the way. Um, But you're saying, you know, I I didn't sell out for the money. I'm doing it for other things. Well, how do you achieve success in those fields? You don't get a big paycheck, but you receive recognition. It's about the recognition. It's about achieving over and above your neighbor. It's about proving yourself, saying, this is who I am. No matter who you are or what you do, you can always measure measure your success by the recognition. What do people think about you? What are they saying about you? What is your status? What have you actually achieved? And see, if you're really successful, and and this is kind of a longing that's just built in our hearts, if we're really successful... What we really long for is not just to be recognized now, but to be recognized long after we're gone. I think built into all of our hearts is this desire to really make a mark on the world, right? To really leave our legacy, to really make a contribution. If we're really successful, not only get recognized now, but people continue to remember us after we're dead and gone, on and on, and they remember what great achievements we accomplished. Now, the question is, so it's a, it's, those are big promises, right? I can pursue achievement and success and accomplishment. Because one, they can give me meaning. And two, they give me validation, recognition, contribution, all those things. Great reasons we should build our lives around work. R- great reason to build your life around success, around achievement. And in fact, the person we're going to hear from, so the question is, does that really work? Will it really work? Will it really fulfill those promises? If that's what we base our lives around, not just have you been, achieve, been successful. I'm not, I'm not denigrating achievement at all, by the way. If that's what we build our lives on, will it really live up to all the hype that it promises? And the answers we get, we get from a person who achieved it all. Now, now it's easy to, to, to kind of look at the words you say and say, well, he's just kind of a bitter failure. You know, he, he failed at the game of life. He never really achieved anything, and therefore... Why I listen to him, right? But if you were here last week, you heard he was the one who achieved everything. Remember back in the beginning of chapter 2, what did he have? He said, I built houses for myself. I built, I built pools and, and forests and I, owned, uh, I, I had all the gold and the silver. I had slaves, male and female. I had all the women I wanted. That's what he said last week. Remember, he was also a king. This is Solomon talking. He was a king. He had all the power, all the respect, all the recognition. He had it all. He was very successful in life, more successful than even, many, uh, than even any of us in, uh, in the room. So what does he say? Can it live up? Let's look at what he's going to say is the frustration that success brings us. So it promises us meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment, right? But really, in reality, what does work do? What does success do? Work batters us, and our work erodes. Let's look at the first one. The wor- our, work, our work batters us. And I want to spend some time in this verse. This is chapter 2, verse 23. He says this. He's talking about the one who toils, the one who works, the one who bases his life around accomplishment and success and getting it all right and being the winner. He says, all his days are full of sorrow. All his days are full of sorrow. That word is pain. All his days are, are full of Pain. And the truth is is that work promises to fulfill us but what it actually does is it batters us. I mean, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, work simply batters us. Now even I mean, even if even if you love your job, this is true because it's always saying to you this is your meaning, this is your significance, build your worth, your esteem here. This is what you should be anxious about in life. This is what you should strive for in life. But even when it goes well, work is like violence. Work does violence to you. It batters you. It, 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 it drains you. It depletes you. You get home and you just want to pass out. You just want to go to sleep. You just want an extra hour in the day so you can rest. You want to veg out in front of the TV. You know those periods in your life where you just feel like, I've been sucked dry. Work is just killing me. See, it's supposed to fulfill you, but in so many ways, it brutalizes us. Now, I, I, I see this a lot in, in my own life, and especially, I think, it, I think it's in very easy to see kind of in, in guys my age. I, I talk to a lot of guys my age, people that are kind of, you know, I'm 30 years old, so 30, and, you know, just having young kids, and I look into my eyes, I look into young men's eyes that are kind of just starting their careers, just starting their families, And I usually see in their eyes when they talk about their work, they talk about their achievement, I see a sense of suffering. You know, I see a sense of desire and drive. I see a a sense of I'm trying to build my career. I'm trying to love my family. I'm trying to serve the community. I'm trying to, you know, give something back to the church. I'm trying to do all these things. And I feel like there's just not enough of me to go around. I feel like there's just not enough of me. Trying to sustain my family, I'm trying to get a paycheck. I'm trying to, to buy the things we need to live and survive. And I'm trying to spend enough time with my wife, so I'm trying to spend enough time with my kids, spend enough time in whatever. There's a sense of suffering. And I think there. I, I think I think similarly about uh, about the young young moms. We have a lot of stay-at-home moms in in our congregation. My wife is one of them. And I, I think, you know. When, when, I, when I talk to you guys, um, I see a great love for your children. It's not about loving your children not loving your children. I see great love for your children. And also see a sense of suffering in your eyes, too. I'm tied to the children all day. I'm tied here. My life is monotonous. I change the same diapers. I fill the same bottles. I go to the same park. I do the same thing again and again and again. There's a sense where work, whatever it is, batters us, and then we begin to get bitter or, or, or we feel guilty because we, can't man- we don't manage it all better somehow. So work brings sorrow, but he, he goes on further in verse 23, and he says, "His work is a vexation." That word means that word means, uh, that word means uh, grief." What does it mean by that? He, what he says is that your pursuit of success, your pursuit of work, your pursuit of achievement, at some point it will come to grief. Why? Well, a friend of mine this week told me, he said, the world's definition of success is performance plus other people's opinion. Performance plus other people's opinion of you. Now, in work, what's always happening? You are always being evaluated, aren't you? You're always being evaluated. You're, they're always, getting the, you're always getting the report card. You're always hearing what your boss thinks or what the shareholders think or, or what whoever thinks and that, that's true It's true for the athletic field, the classroom, if you're a student or, or an athlete or whatever. The bottom line is you're always being evaluated, and you're being evaluated in every single spot of your life. And you know what? Eventually, you come up short. When you're evaluated constantly, constantly, eventually, the time comes when you don't make it. You might make it all your life for 30 years, always succeeding, and then the time comes and you have a failure. Uh, what do you do with that? See, whether it's on the basketball court, the football field, whether it's with your sales goals, your projections about uh, revenue, whether it's with your kids, whatever it is, at some point, you come up short. At some point, you don't make it. At some point, you don't meet the grade. I, I experienced this. Before I came here, uh, four years ago, I was, a, I was a banker. I was a loan officer working uh, at Bank of America. And I remember my very first, um, my very first quarter as a loan officer. And uh, I, I worked so hard. I mean, I was I was striving. I was working. I was pursuing the, the highest achievement. I worked overtime. I was probably, I was working a lot of extra hours. Um, and my very first quarter as a loan officer, I finished number two in the region. Now, the region's like, I don't know, 90 bankers, something like that. And I finished number two in my very first quarter. And I was in compliance, which, as we know now, many people were not. But I didn't. Some of you are laughing with me, some are not. Um, but I finished number two and I thought, I made it. I mean, I am number two in the region. I, I mean and I, I, you know, I just barely didn't get number one, which was fine, you know, but I got number two. And 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 then came the you know my call from the regional manager. He was gonna call us and uh, you know, this is a guy that's over like seventy-five different banks, you know, and he, he calls me and I'm like, okay, he's about to here's the payoff, right? Here's the recognition, here's the success, here it is ready just to sit back and put it on speakerphone in the office so all the everybody can hear me. You could probably tell that was a mistake. He actually called and chewed me out. He actually called and explained. Number two is not good enough. The region didn't perform as well as they should have. You could have been number one. You're better than that can't believe you didn't get this long. I can't believe you didn't do this. I can't believe you failed here and here and here. But I was number two. First quarter. At some point, the evaluation comes up short, even when we think we did it right. The evaluation comes up short. And what are you going to do then? If success to you is your performance plus other people's opinion of you, that is a fool's errand. You'll never make it. You'll never live up as long as you're living under that kind of, it's really a form, in a sense, a form of tyranny, a form of slavery. And it's enormous, enormous pressure. And, of course, all this is just what happens in the daytime, right? What does he say after that? He says, even in the heart, even in the night, his heart does not rest. Even at night, your heart doesn't rest. You know what that's like, don't you? Laying awake at night, how am I going to pay the bills? What am I going to do tomorrow? What is my boss going to be mad at me? Is the report going to show that I failed? Is the deal going to fall through? Strategizing, leg weight, strategizing. How am I going to get more market share? How am I going to? How am I going to work this deal? How am I going to fix it? Even at night, he says your heart doesn't rest because it's built around achievement. And many of us, many of us feel like we would, you know, rather be at work than at home. Work just becomes a distraction. Work becomes a distraction from the hard things about. That are really going on in life, or or it's easier because you know at work we're we're somebody we can manage and command and you know order people around and that kind of thing. We go home and we got you know young kids that need their nose wiped and you know a wife that wants to talk to you and have conversation and uh, things like that. I mean, and so we get to this point. We'd rather be distracted by work than even be at home. And so what do we do? What if the deal falls through? What what happens? Are you devastated? One more part of this, Ecclesiastes 4.7. He says this. This is four seven and 8. He says, we're talking about how work batters us. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all this toil. His eyes are never satisfied so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. What does he see? What does he see a picture of? There is a person who has no other, he says. But he's toiling all the night long. The picture is, you know, you expect to see, especially in a Jewish setting here, you expect to see there's the man, there's his wife, there's his family gathered around him. There are his friends in his community. Where are they? They're all gone. Work has battered him relationally as well. It's battered the relationships out of his life. His wife wife and kids have probably left him because he has consumed himself with work. Or if they're there, maybe they despise him and it almost seems as if they're not there. See, he finally gets the recognition he wants, right? But it's from afar. It's from a distance. There's nobody close to him anymore. Everybody respects him, but nobody really knows him. That's the picture you get in Ecclesiastes of the work-based life. And he says it's like mist, it's like vapor, it's like chasing after wind. You always think you have it, but then it's gone. If you remember the second promise, he says that that, that work promise, uh, promises us recognition. Is that true? Maybe it can be. But, but what does he say happens? He says that our work actually erodes. That our work actually erodes. Look, look at look at what he says in two nineteen or two eighteen and nineteen. He says, "I hated my toil, my work." In other words seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he'll be wise or be a fool, and yet he will be the master of everything for which I have toiled. You see what he's saying? You, you, you accomplish something, you finally get what you want, right? You finally achieve, you finally get there, you finally make it in life. What happens? You've got to maintain it, right? Right? You gotta if you finally get there, you gotta maintain it. The 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 performance that got you, the promotion is now not not exceedingly good. It's expected. It's just expected. You've got to be able to maintain it. The you know the deal that you made today only pays the bills tomorrow. The diapers you change today gotta be changed again tomorrow. The bottles you wash today gotta be washed again tomorrow. The laundry you do today, done tomorrow. See, our work just erodes. The deal falls through, the commitment we thought we had gets dropped, the weeds we pull today, they're back again. The work erodes like a sandcastle on the beach. And, and what he's saying here is not only do you have to constantly maintain it and try to keep it up, try to you know, keep the plate spinning all the time in anxiousness, but it simply won't last. What does he say? I, I looked at it, I realized at some point I've got to face death. And somebody else is going to get it all. Everything that i spent my life built around, somebody else will get it. And he might be wise and he might be a fool. And you might say, you know what? That's I have a will. I've got to trust. I, you know, I've planned for these kinds of things. That's good. You should. How long is that going to last? Maybe a generation before your grandkids or great-grandkids waste it all, or I mean, something wipes it out. Whatever. How do you won't be controlling? How do you know? The lucky, and he says, he also says this. You know, in two sixteen. He says it, it, it doesn't even matter if a wise person does get it. It doesn't even matter if it's managed well. Why? Because you will not be remembered. He says your drive to make your mark won't last. See, the luckiest person in this room will probably be remembered for like 100 years, right? I mean, probably 100 years tops. I mean, think about it Think about it this way. Who, who is the 30th president of the United States? Who is the 30th president of the United States? I, I guarantee you that 90% of people in the room don't know. I didn't know. I had to look it up. Probably a few of you do I call you nerds but the the uh but, don't take that to heart, I'm sorry the uh see we don't have a second service anymore, so I can't correct these things um, the but the bottom line is is that. He was the 30th president. It's Calvin Coolidge, by the way. He was the 30th president of the United States. At one time, he was at the pinnacle of power. Everybody knew him. He was elected by the masses. And now, who's Calvin Coolidge? I I don't even remember his name. What did he do? I don't know. Maybe somebody does. But the point is, is even the greatest will not last. Be wiped away by the sands of time. And the work just erodes. It's like a vapor and like a mist. So... Now that you're all sufficiently depressed about your work, what do you do with it? Well, the very first couple things here in closing. One, work is a gift from God. Success and achievement are gifts of God. But a success or a work based life, building your life around it, will never work. On its own terms, it won't work. Can you imagine anything more futile than chasing the wind? that's what he's saying you're gonna come up again and again on futility the more you try to build your life around it and here's the first thing futility God's work is a gift God's achievement that he's given you is a gift the success you experience is a gift of God but the futility he's given you is a gift as well in other words the frustration you experience is a gift as well God builds futility right in so it's a constant reminder that the world is bigger than me life is bigger than me it's gonna keep going on after me there's got to be something more to the world than this and it's a built-in reminder I need God. I need Jesus. Why? If utility in our work, frustration in our work is a wake-up call to wake us up to the fact of our need for God. Why, why do we need it? Tim Keller, pastor at North, in New York, says this. He says, we need a rest from work in our work. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.6. He says this, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. You see what he's saying? Two hands full of work, two hands full of accomplishment achievement will ruin you in the end. It'll kill you, it'll drain you, it'll batter you down. Better to have one hand on work and one hand on, he says, quietness. That is rest. That's a deep, abiding satisfaction and joy. But see, rest it's an act of faith. You don't just rest today. Rest is an act of faith. Why do I say that? Because whenever you rest, whenever you sleep, you're saying, you know what? I can, I can, I can drop it. I can let it alone for a while. I'm going to rest because God is in charge, not me. God is handling these things, not me. I, I talk to a lot of my friends who are pastors, and they say things like this. I, you know, I, I just can't get away from work. I can't get away from the church. There's too many people to be ministered to, too many things to do, too many, too much misery to you know handle. I got to do this service and this, uh, this thing. Why? Why You can't get a, you can't get three days vacation. You can't take three days of study leave in the whole year. Why? Why not? And that's how I was in the beginning of my first year or so in ministry too, I felt like I couldn't leave. I feel like I had to, there's always something to do, right? There's something important that needs to be done. And the bottom line is, there's a sick, sick reason that we like it. You know, it feels important. It feels significant. You feel like you're needed if you can't get away. He says, that's what it's like to have two handfuls But you need to have one handful of work and one handful of rest. So let me ask you, why can't you leave early? Why can't you go on vacation? Why can't you enjoy some time away? Why can't you get your mind off work? The answer is because you think you're propping it all up. You think you're making the world go round. That's what I thought, you know. I'm there doing God's work. I'm doing God's work for him. That's blasphemy. doing god's work for him see i had this picture that i was propping it all up so rest is an act of faith when you come to the end of our passage in ecclesiastes 2 24 he says you know what there's nothing better for a person than to simply find enjoyment in his work to find enjoyment in his work which is possible he says how well, two times there in those verses, he says, the one who pleases God. The one who pleases God. Immediately, that sounds like another burden, doesn't it? I'm already trying to please my boss. I'm already trying to please my family. I'm already trying to please my church. I'm already trying to please everybody else. Now I've got to please God too? This is crazy. That's what religion says. Religion says, you please God, you strive, and you work, and you achieve, and you can please God. Christianity says the opposite. What it means there is you are God's pleasure. God takes pleasure in you. He says you don't have to work and achieve to find your way into God's heart, to find your way into His rest. And what we need is an identity based not on my performance, not on your performance, but on His. Not on your work, but on His work. Not on your success, but on His success. That is a gospel identity. And if you knew this, you could rest. If you believe this, you could rest. If you believe this, you wouldn't be so anxious. You wouldn't be so overworked. You wouldn't be so tired. You wouldn't be striving after the wind. You could rest. And isn't this exactly what Jesus offers? What does He say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest. I will give you rest. Non Christian, don't you realize that if this life is all there is, that your work, your accomplishment, your driving will batter you and it will erode and it will become one of the footnotes of history? Don't you see that? And it will never offer you a deep, abiding satisfaction. Would you come to Jesus and rest? And, Christian, would you believe the gospel again today? Would you give up your anx- anxious striving, your anxiety, your desire to please men? And would you rest again in the arms of Christ? See, if this life is all there is, then it's just a vapor, it's just a mist. You're here, there's billions of years of history, you're here 70, 80 years gone. But if God is real, then you can find a deep rest and you can be recognized by the God of the universe as his pleasure, as his treasure, as his joy, as his delight. And it's the only way you can leave a lasting contribution because you're working for a kingdom that cannot fail and that cannot fall. Would you come to Jesus and rest? Let's pray. Lord, how desperate we are for rest. Lord, we are people frantic, frantically chasing and striving, some of us for intellectual answers, some of us for pleasure, some of us for justice, some of us for, for work and achievement and accomplishment, whatever it is, Lord, some of us just for ease and, and comfort and, and, and chilling out. God, I, just feel, I feel every one of those in my own heart. And, Lord, you take the burden away. Lord, You are a burden taker. Because the Gospel says, it's not about us working to please You, but we are Your pleasure. Jesus Christ, Lord, You gave up Your rest that we might have ours in You. Lord, help us to believe the Gospel. Help us believe the Gospel. For it is only in you that we find our life is not vapor, not mist, not chasing after the wind. Lord, give us a life not built on sand, but built on you. Give us joy and gratefulness for our gifts. Give us joy in our work. Give us thankfulness for our achievement. Give us enjoyment of our success. Lord, let us have one handful of work and one handful of quietness and deep abiding satisfaction in the one who gave up his rest. That we might have ours for eternity. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.